1: Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, Clickranger.com or just stop
3: by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of Top Picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. U.S. only.
2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Joining me today to talk about the 2020 Ravens cornerback situation is Dev Panchois,
4: a longtime friend of the show.
2: Dev, how you doing, buddy?
4: I'm good. I'm good. And I appreciate you having me on. Uh, We're in the off season already. uh, So (laughs) that's the only, um, that's the only, I guess, thing here where we're hoping that, you know, well, I guess everybody's in the off season, but hoping that, you know, would have been a little bit better circumstances of the discussion, but uh, always enjoy talking to you regardless. Yeah, lots
2: of fun. I don't really want to rehash the five stages of grief or I might have to go through them again. So uh, anyway, I uh, wish it hadn't happened the way it did and wish it hadn't ended the way, it but here's, here we are. Let's talk about the cornerbacks a little bit because it's an interesting position for the Ravens. Obviously, they're built back to front. Uh, they spend most of their defensive money or a high portion of their defensive money uh, at cornerback in particular.
4: Yeah, and uh, this is a position that you could argue that this is a position they value the most. <laughs> uh, just like you said, resources, um, investments, drafts, free agency—you name it—they've put a lot into this position. And I think um, you know, going back a couple years ago, there's a couple factors I could see. One is they've hit—they've uh, had injuries that have derailed them at cornerback, and then the second thing is. Just in terms of foresight, being able to match up against teams that pass the football—that's where the league is headed. They've, I think, astutely identified that we need, you know, corners to play in heavier coverage packages or, or or you know, volume-based coverage packages, right? So they've they've identified that quickly, and I think, uh, but their frontline cornerbacks—that's as good of a group as any—and then even extending it further, they're they're loaded and deep. Uh, 3 to 4
2: so yeah unusual for a team to spend a lot of money on their fourth cornerback the ravens have jimmy smith there they re-signed him again which is frankly maybe a little bit of a surprise given the number of bodies they have at cornerback right now and some cuts that are going to have to take place at the end of camp if everybody stays healthy
4: uh yeah i it's just inc- interesting even getting ready to talk to you i mean if you look at the lists they're going to be cutting some really good ball players that could easily transform or transition into being a viable like slot corner at the minimum uh, for other teams. And that's just, you know, that's just kind of how things have uh, gone, Uh, but they are willing to take a lot of swings at the position, I think, to have a a really good third, fourth cornerback. And that's what they value. And uh, Jimmy's a good example of a guy that they've even taken a step further. Ideally, he would have played a different role for them, but because he's because they needed him to he was able to slide in and be essentially a starting cornerback that that could take on a lot of snaps
2: we'll get to we'll talk about a little bit about Jimmy and the and the safety position and and I, but I got to tell you I saw that coming a mile away in terms of he's much more valuable to this team as a fourth corner than as a third safety and I'm kind of glad they got him out of that safety spot and away from some of the injuries that that, that potentially could have called Now, he never played a traditional dimeback role where he was, you know, in the middle of the field, he was always back end in a dime where Clark would move up, or or even Elliott would move up on some place. But uh, right. it, it still, I think there's more injury risk and more tackling responsibility at safety, which 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 was which was probably made it a risky proposition at best.
4: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was a bit of an experiment, right? And there's we're going to talk about it in depth. There's some thoughts I had about how they use him, and I liked it. But yeah, you, you know, you're risking um, you, you're you are risking his health, and he's a guy that's already not durable. Yeah. All right. Well, start wherever you want. Who would you like to start talking about? You know, if we I guess if we're on this flow, uh, let's go with Jimmy because I, I think find him to be such a fascinating player. I'm sure you do as well. Just because we look at you know uh, utilization, right? So, mm-hmm. I I liked and I loved actually the idea of a, maybe not traditional safety, right? But just a chess piece, a guy that when you need him to match up against the tight end, like a Kelsey, which I think is kind of like the would have been like the ideal for for Jimmy or his, his role based match up against tight ends, pass catching tight ends um, you know, big receivers, but perhaps like three, third, fourth receivers that you just can't really ideally match up with, uh, in normal circumstances. But that's what I liked going into the season with Jimmy. And then, um, you know, I think he played really well. I know he's, you know, he, he you know, I, mean, I think you assessed him really well. I know outside and sees like pro football focus, assess him really well, et cetera. But, um, you know, I think, I'm glad they brought him back and I'm glad he's back in the fold. Um, and hoping that with Tavon Young healthy, if he is healthy, then Jimmy can kind of continue to rotate and they can monitor his snaps. Um, that's my initial take on him. I just th- think he's such a good ball player. He, he, it's t- he's only 31. See. So for,
2: for 42% of snaps this year. And frankly, I don't think it would have been reasonable to expect him to play at that much. In a year like this, or maybe maybe better stated, I don't think the Ravens planned for him to play that much originally at the beginning of the season. They might have planned for him to play 25% of snaps yeah. as a dime safety, maybe a few extras corner. Maybe you get to 42% that way, but uh, you know, Jimmy, with a batch of injuries, made it through, still played 42% of the snaps, and was very good when he was on the field. Um, I think he's still very much a natural outside right cornerback. You know, a guy who likes to use the boundary exceptionally well, likes to push that uh, defender, move him physically, get him towards the sideline, get him to run out of room along that sideline a lot of times, also force the quarterback to make a judgment that is uh, an overthrow.
4: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, that's really his strength. He understands. He's a he pins the receiver to the sideline so well his technique, his length, everything. Right? He's a prototypical uh, right side like cornerback, and I think plays to the strength because you know they have Humphrey on the other side. We'll see what that what happens next year, of course. Again, projecting it forward, whether that's more of a rotation for him. But one thing and one game I wanted to point to and wanted to get your thoughts on was uh, because I, I wrote about it was the Titans game um during the regular season and that was the one where it jumped out to me where they the titans didn't have a third receiver so eventually in that game they had jimmy covering anthony Furster who was killing them on third down so yeah that's one where like and i mean uh, you know the titans have johnny smith as well but if you have to shift him and move him on a on a receiver like that or you know maybe a step below Uh, but I think the Colts as well like they they like to use their tight ends like that but something like that where you have a hybrid guy I wouldn't have a problem with him moving with that player and I think could could handle himself really well yeah well obviously one of the problems with a split tight end in today's offenses and there every team
2: seems to have at least one guy they want to split that they don't. They don't want to play in line, and your typical slot corners are too small for that guy. They're, they represent a size mismatch. Jimmy Smith has enough change of direction skills to cover a tight end. I don't think he's really ideal for a true slot pony wide receiver. I wouldn't want him covering Devin Duvernay. Uh, you know, if he were in the yeah. slot yeah but, but I think he's he's perfect for for a tight end who he matches up well with in terms of both a, a speed and size basis. And, and it was it was a good use of him um, you know when they could use him in there. The Ravens, very unusual as a team in that they are not built with a lot of slot corners. and the Ravens of old, accumulated a lot of extra slot corners and they didn't have the kind of length to play outside. Now they're all aircraft carriers and they have to move Humphrey to the inside
4: to play slot, which is really out of position for him. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I mean, that's why they were in a bit of a bind in the Buffalo game. They played Humphrey there and it worked out, but uh, and I think part of that's Beasley, you know, Cole Beasley wasn't healthy, but when you're in that situation, again, there is they forecast things next season. I, I got to think that's they're, they'll look at that closely and say, we don't want to be in that type of situation again, Tavon being, you know, not durable. Uh, do we have to flex one of our guys that is just kind of a mismatch inside? And then what are we going to do with, with these other slot or like, you know, Jarvis Landry, you're going to face twice a year. The Steelers guys, I mean, depending on what happens with Juju, but even then, you have plenty of um, potential problems in the slot. Right. There, there,
2: are, there are a handful of teams, and unfortunately, Pittsburgh is one of them who play 10 personnel, Buffalo is another, um, and force the other team to, to use four corners. And they're looking for two mismatches there primarily. One is if you have a guy on the out, if you have anybody who's just a mismatch because the levels of corner are A, A, B, and D. You know, you've got in terms of your, your relative value, they're looking for that. But they're also looking for do you are you are you too short on either outside or slot corners? And in the case of the Pittsburgh game, Terrell Bonds got picked on a fair amount. And so he's a guy, you know, that that deserves some mention. I I don't think he played terribly or anything overall, but he had a pass interference call. And as they were going those nickel and dime little drives in the second half to get down the field, it was a lot of receptions to his guy that was that was doing the trick. Three.
4: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the smart quarterbacks, the veteran quarterbacks will take advantage of that. They're not going to worry too much about, uh, you know, getting the ball to a certain receiver. They're just going to take whatever they have, whatever they can get at that point. And I thought those are two good examples. Uh, Was it Big Ben exploiting it? So and then you had some exploits uh, in the Buffalo game, I thought. But, you know, they did a good job of keeping that to the minimum. Uh, Anything else about Humphrey before we move on? not a lot to a whole lot to say i mean if i was to nitpick i'd say he played slightly less better than he did the year before yeah. uh you know i think there was a couple of games where his old draft profile or drafts i think you know the, the kind of the knock on him was that he doesn't do as well in downfield coverage at times tracking the football against bigger more physical receivers some of that showed up i mean obviously the most Obvious, uh, you can point to his AJ Brown, but I think it's it's nitpicking. Um, He did have some games where he wasn't as as sharp, but you know, there's that's going to happen to any elite corner, and for my money, he's still top five in the league, and it's not even really worth uh, debating, or, or there's not much to debate. Right. I I don't think there's too much
2: debate either, but I will point out ball skills come in two forms. Obviously, it would be better if he had more ball tracking ability to play the ball in the air, but he's absolutely at the top of the entire league in terms of punching the ball free after it gets there. Whether that means usually a PD is what I'm talking about, but he had eight forced fumbles this year in terms of, of getting the football baseball bat like arms in terms of attacking the ball hands and forearms of those receivers.
4: Oh, uh, and it, and it's contagious <laughs> somehow it's, it. I know he helped, he he's worked with the other guys on it too. So it worked with the other guys, I should say, but, uh, that's the cool part is that it's not just him. It's, it's filtered to everyone else. Kind of like the Ray Lewis effect. Right. So yeah. it's been, uh, he's been, um, he's, he's just, he's so valuable for them. Yeah. So, I, I, I do. We'll talk about the next guy here, Marcus Peters, because I
2: think this is a good segue. But Humphrey, definitely a batterer, a puncher of the football. Peters, he had some good success with forced fumbles this year. He's a prior. You know, he, he tries to pry the ball loose, which is something I associate with Ed Reed as being a guy who would try and find the end of the football and kind of flip it out that way, as opposed to, you know, trying to punch the football and, and, and get as hard a, an impact as he can on it to get it loose.
4: Yeah, that's a good observation. That's a good way of seeing it. I think I've noticed he is kind of... um always acutely aware of where the ball is and then mm-hmm. you know he's not yeah you know, it's not necessarily like a tactical like punch striking it right or, or or the the way Humphrey does but it's okay it's he's um he's the ultimate um you know playmaker for them right now and I know and this is something I'd be uh, interested to get your take on I, I know there was some chatter about him not playing as good of a season I mean yeah, I could see. He's, he got picked on some more. It's going to happen when you have two corners that are that good. One of them is going to get picked on more. Um, my observation with him is I saw some – some a little bit like – he was a little bit more shaky and off coverage at times. Like just kind of – he would drive on the ball and then, you know – Naturally, I think offenses study the film, and they said, "All right, we're going to use some double moves on him. You um, saw that in the Titans game in the regular season, for example, with Corey Davis. So there's some of that, and I think his overall like off coverage at times was a little bit too uh, slow or late. And so there's some of that, and I th- but but he also made plays, and he's he's you know he just was all around still stellar from my book.
2: Yeah, I mean I think you take chances with with who he is and you realize you're rolling dice a lot of the time when when he's at cornerback as opposed to just tossing a blanket over that receiver. He's he makes very good, judicious gambles. They're they're high value gambles. Obviously the play in the postseason is the best example in terms of, of uh you know being in the right place at the right time. But when when he's undercutting a route and he he had two undercut attempts versus Kansas City and they both failed in week three. The second one was a touchdown to Hardman uh, which, which was a, a bad guess on Tariq Hill and it's going to happen sometimes. You notice his body language. He's realized he's made the wrong move and his, his hands are motionless at his side and he kind of turns off the field almost like a robot and goes off. But, but I, I really love that kind of risk-taking, I think it has high value. And I think defenses in general are just kind of coming around to the notion of how much risk is really required to stop, for example, four-down football.
4: Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Uh, When you look at the way these other teams are constructed, like Kansas City is probably the one that stands out the most where they're they're emphasizing turnovers, sacks, high-percentage plays on defense. They don't care if you're gaining yards, if, if you're giving up plays necessarily. It's just... Over the course of a game, can we get like two or three big plays on defense so if you look at it from that uh, perspective, he would fit in really well and and I think he, he fits in well here uh, in Baltimore, of course, as well, and I think they do value what he is. I think that 's probably what in from front office and a coaching staff standpoint the the marriage was really well uh, presented yeah, yeah he 's a,
2: a good match for winks scheme based pass rush as well because they they're really focused on getting fast pressures uh, mm-hmm. off of scheme and and when that happens that accentuates Peters ability to make a good guess against the quarterback and and more importantly not get necessarily burned when he makes the wrong guess.
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh they they and I they got even smarter and smarter with some of the coverages uh at the end of the season so Uh, with a guy like that, you have so many advantages uh, as a coach. And you can trust that nine times out of 10, even with some of those calculated gambles he takes that he's still going to be in the right position. (laughs) <laughs> Peter's eighty six percent of the snaps this year, which is very
2: good, injury free, relatively year. I, I forget if he was he had COVID or he was involved in that or not, or if the secondary largely was was safe from that. But he was injured at the end of the year, missed a game or two. Um, the next guy really I th- as far as I know he was healthy the whole year but he but he had no that's not true he was out for a while but he he, he finally got a little bit more playing time this year. year's Anthony averett who's fourth on the team in terms of percentage of cornerback snaps at thirty one point six percent not what the Ravens would wanted in terms of being that they probably projected him as their fifth corner behind tavon but I thought averett really stepped forward this year in terms of his level of play
4: yeah I know you're a big averett guy and I, I know that you I appreciated the fact that you kind of debunked some of this negativity around him for whatever reason. I don't know what that is, but uh, I I think he played well too. And you can't underscore the fact that uh, guys like this just have to be, they're basically jumping levels. I mean, you're you're talking about the expectation of a fourth or fifth corner that jumps into a third corner spot and says has to jump uh, in immediately because guys are going down. So he did that. And I, I know that, uh, coming in when they drafted him there was a high a little bit of optimism right that this could be a starting cornerback pretty quickly um, just he had that type of talent he had that type of upside it's just that they're so loaded at corner that he hasn't had really a chance and he's also i think like you said is, is inconsistent with his injuries um just overall uh, consistency has been one of the things i think this year though he he this is the best he's played. And it seems like the light bulb has gone off and uh, it'll be really interesting to see um, wh- where he fits in for next year because of Tavon being back uh, because he's another guy that I can't really foresee him uh, being able to play in the slot if they need him to.
2: No, it's not, not really his natural thing.
4: Yeah. So yeah. then he's another rotational outside corner and uh, yeah, it's a good guy to have. I think if, because if you see, if you look at Jimmy Smith and you're like, He's probably going to miss one or two games a year. You're just mm-hmm. going to chalk it up that way. Then, okay, we have Averett. We have good depth.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, th- I think Averett is very central to their plans, and we can talk a little bit about this. But um, contract-wise, the Ravens have a lot of stacking. They have to they have to deal with a lot of contract stacking, and in what I mean by that is the 2018 draft had. Incredibly, nine guys who are starting level in the NFL right now. Zach Seidler, obviously, is the first guy to get a second contract. It was fascinating of the, of, the, of the big nine. And he's on another team, of course. Uh, Kenny Young is now playing regularly again, uh, though I don't think the Ravens regret the trade in any way, shape, or form. I'm missing somebody else. Who's the other the third guy who's already gone? Hayden Hurst is in Atlanta and playing very well. Yep. You know, but they still have three guys they're going to have to sign for enormous money. And three other guys that have just completed year three and are, in my mind, are candidates to be signed. And that includes Anthony Averitt. And I think he'd be a very good choice to make a two or three year small money commitment to. So what I'm talking about, you know, he's a fourth, fifth cornerback right now. If you're Anthony Averitt, would you sign for uh, three years for five million total right now? Or would you be trying to get a big contract after one more year of part-time play, say?
4: Yeah, I, uh, you have to be realistic if you're Anthony Averitt. I mean, what, what are the odds of that happening? I, I think what versus you stay on. Uh, and if this was the pitch to him, if Eric DeCosta had talks to him or his agent to say, look, I mean, realistically, uh, you've got Jimmy Smith. You've got Marcus Peters is is, is 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 locked and loaded, but his contract situation is not a given. I mean, there's the, and Tavon Young, right? So you got three guys almost there that, at some point he could elevate above and play and, and start with Marlon Humphrey, which was kind of there. I think they talked about that uh, as, as like a possibility. Right. So it's, it's very, I, I agree. Like I think he's valuable in multiple ways and I can definitely see him uh, this season coming up, even, you know, getting some, again, some really valuable snaps as he did this season. Yeah, I'd actually be surprised if it didn't happen, given the names you've you've mentioned there. And but the, the, What you
2: were stating, it's almost like you're making the pitch his agent would make to him and say, hold on, just wait. You're going to get playing time this year somehow. Yeah,
4: I I, to, <laughs> I don't think Eric DeCosta would say, uh, yeah, well, Peters is on a, <laughs> on a, on a shaky contract. I, I think, but yeah, to your point, the agent might could really present that case and then DaCosta could say, you know, like, there's a lot of opportunity here, I think in a nutshell. So I think that's a win-win possibility, uh, especially again. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent off the top of my head. You, you might know, but I think Tavon Young's contract is actually coming to a close and right?
2: So. No, it has, it has um, one low value year here, and then has one more year at the original salary. So he essentially is playing for his final year this year, but he he had his money guaranteed at a reduced salary level this year. Okay.
4: Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not basically there's a there is any possibility that they could they they could move on. Uh, It's not going to happen now,
2: but no, not this year, but they could move on from Marcus Peters. He's not he's not 100 percent safe, given the COVID cap situation right now. And I, I don't I don't honestly believe it will happen, but I think it could happen.
4: Yeah, it's one of those, you know, they always have those surprise cuts. So I, he's one of the guys I could see that happening with. And again, it gets back to how much do they uh, believe in and Everett's uh, ability to start? I think that's mm-hmm. a huge question because of the guys in front of him.
2: Another guy who's on this list, and maybe we're going to do a little bit of jump in here to do is, is Devonte Harris was re-signed recently, and I didn't see that coming. I didn't. I didn't think that was a sure thing by any means. But that tells me, uh, additionally, that the Ravens may well have plans to part ways with Peters if they want to have that kind of an insurance policy there. Because otherwise, I mean, I don't know how much money they gave Harris on a guaranteed basis. For this, But I'm sure there has to be some or they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been bothered. He would have signed somewhere else.
4: Yeah, I think he would have had a market, uh, not necessarily up front, but later on. But uh, he's someone that is unique because he, he, he strikes me as like a, 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 as a prototypical, like he might have just not been the right fit in Denver altogether system whatever uh you know the Ravens have that in their own right like Kenny Young we just brought up right so you you have guys that just don't fit period so I think he's talented enough of you know of a player and I think showed he I think he showed himself well in spots last year um you know I think when he had to when he had to jump in so athletically I think he can play uh I think he can play in this type of coverage scheme where you're asked to do a lot of man to man coverage. Um so I like the, in the, the slot maybe a little bit. And he could, yeah, and I think he can. He can do some slot as well. He's got good athleticism. He's got good change of direction. Uh so he's intriguing. I think as a prospect, as a talent, you know, I think they have something to work with. And I I, I can like you said, I didn't necessarily uh think twice about it. Uh but I'm glad that they they did bring him back and they have him in the fold.
2: Yeah, So just a little bit bigger stable. They have Trevon Williams, I assume, will not be back. I haven't heard anything yet. 38 years old this last year, so he'll be 39 this coming year with the normal math involved. And uh, he wasn't great or anything. They used him pretty effectively to blitz off the slot, and it really underscored just how much the Ravens need another slot corner that he's in there playing some real significant snaps down the stretch.
4: Yeah, I I, I guess I might have been a little bit more... Uh, wide eyed about him when they got him because of the history he's one of the, he's been one of the best slack corners in the league for a long time. like you said, really uh, kind of had the makeup of the type of corners that they they uh, have done that have done well here, which is you know he can blitz, he can play um, you know physical, they can move him around. he's got good um, he's a smart player, good football cue, but uh, I just don't think
3: uh, I think he's pretty much at the end of his rope you know, in terms of his physical ability at this point. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of Top Picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. U.S. only. Point.
4: Uh, I'd be surprised if they brought him back. But yeah, the type of corner that he represents, that's where, you know, maybe they'll investigate someone like him in the draft. Or, you know, we're going to talk about that coming up. But I, liked, I, I like the type of player he is. And it's just the exact guy that they brought in. They had to do it out of desperation. But, um, you know, he did. I think he, he served his purpose. It wasn't a total disaster. Right. But I think, um, unfortunately it didn't go as well as I had kind of thought it might go
2: yeah i i that's that's probably fair. It just uh, it it certainly wasn't his best season i mean he he was a hell of a player for Green Bay for a long time and uh and that's uh it, it, you know it was a step back, but it, it is what it is, and I also had his age wrong by one. I'm sorry he's still not yet thirty eight but he will turn thirty eight before the season so uh uh that's where we are. Terrell Bonds we mentioned a little bit earlier got a little bit of playing time and actually more than you would have thought Terrell Bonds ended up playing. In terms of snaps for the year, 7.2% of the Ravens' defensive snaps, which is higher than I really recalled because he was only in there in packages where they typically would have to go to a fourth cornerback.
4: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess uh, they, they had to go to that well quite a bit. Uh, he, I, I agree with you initially when you said that he wasn't as bad as it seems i think he got picked on i can't remember which game it was off the top of my head where he was picked on like every, oh yeah that's that's the game you brought up earlier right so i don't know if there was another one over that's i guess that's the one <laughs> and maybe i just blocked it out of my memory how often he got picked on in that game but you know that stuff is that stuff happens um we've seen like we talked about earlier again like you have a quarterback that understands like okay, I got the mismatch I want. This guy's not playing well. His confidence might be going down in the, in, you know, in the tank. So I'm just going to keep it going, which which is what happened. But uh, to his credit, I think he he did play reasonably well, and he's a guy that I think is a perfect end of rotation uh, player. I don't know if he's going to get caught in the numbers game though, but definitely worthwhile to um, let him duke it out with the other guys.
2: Yeah. And he fits that slot profile more. Unfortunately, they started the clock running. I'm not sure it really matters as much in the case of a player like him. Uh, He'd been on the practice squad, I guess, a couple of years. Maybe this was his second. Maybe it was even his third. I think it was his second. But he uh, now has the clock running. So the option value is draining out of the hourglass. Uh, But on the other hand, I'm not sure he's the kind of player you really worry about three years of option value from.
4: No, I don't think so either. Uh, his, he was a break in, you know, I guess you know, break glass in case of emergency player. Yes, and that's probably what they would view him as. Again, if it comes down to it, and I don't think if you lose him, he's he's going to be scooped up. You I mean, might, but you know, again, it's 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 he's a prototypical again end of the end of the line guy, and that's what he did this year. And
2: one guy I left off the list, and I apologize for this in the production is Khalil Dorsey was really ahead of him on the depth chart from the practice squad in this weird year where you have 15 practice squad slots and you have a whole bunch of ability to build in depth there. Nobody knows what the other team has in terms of practice squad because there was no preseason to look at Tape yeah. and air. so there was there's less pilferage certainly as a percentage of total practice squad spots or probably even in in by number this year and and khalil dorsey came in played four snaps and allowed a lot of 39 yard pass in that washington game
4: there you go so that that's not much to, to go off of uh, i think if i'm if i remember correctly prosper pros, aspect wise and physically, I think he's got some skills. So again, he's kind of, he fits to me in that same bucket with bonds and, and that he could be someone worth, uh, you know, kind of keeping an eye on, but I don't foresee or expect too much out of him. Uh, especially with the coming. like, again, you, you, you have to think young coming back and some of these guys coming back. I don't think he'll necessarily be, um, on the team, but you never know yeah I, mean, I would think practice squad if
2: anything and and he'd be uh he'd be there and I'm, I I should know this but I don't remember if the practice squad is going back to 8 this year or if it's 9 with international players or what it might be but uh or or 10 even but uh the ravens won't have as much depth on that practice squad I don't believe this season that they've had in the in the past so they're going to have to trim and and uh and keep you know one man depth across a, a number of positions yep Nate Brooks uh, came in there, wore number seventeen on defense. Always weird to see that kind of a wide receiver number, if anything. Uh, but uh, played briefly in that Cincinnati game. I didn't think he was terrible uh, by, by any stretch. Probably you know did the job reasonably well in that. Maybe a little surprised we didn't see more of him. Uh, he was he's a he's a guy who's I don't know how long he's been kicking around the practice squad, but he's a the North Texas guy.
4: Yeah, I know there was. Um quite a bit of anticipation with him uh just based on that right because he had uh, built up like that reputation and you were just kind of waiting for him to play and then uh, like you said i mean surprised that he didn't play as much maybe maybe it just came down to a playbook thing and Mm -hmm. again like he just wasn't as ready as some of these other guys were ready uh i think he's got again he's got some pretty interesting physical skills um i don't know if he can you know wear multiple hats or not uh, in this defense, but that's kind of what I took out of it. Like before he played that he, he could potentially do that and he could be kind of an all-around defensive back for them.
2: If he, I, I think a lot of it comes down to whether or not he's too big to play the slot. And at, at six feet, 192, he might be. So that begs a question of, do you need to find another guy or can you specialize him on the inside covering tight ends that are split or mm-hmm. what can you do exactly? If, if you can do that, then the, the new use is – when teams go to 12 personnel, you can put on a nickel, and the Ravens in the old days would have gone to big nickel in most of those situations. So They'd have put a third safety on the field, uh, during a lot during the Pease era and even some during the Martindale era. But now they they have the ability to put a big third corner on the field against 12 personnel, line him up against the split tight end
4: uh, as, as another option there. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a nice option to have because um... – I mean, that's where the game is headed. That's because we just talked about it earlier. Like these tight ends are just so advanced. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're receivers, but they're, they're, they're too big for that slot corner. So that's a great, uh, great, I think solution is to have a cornerback big enough and probably um, could still be physical enough. You might be asking for too much um, in red zone situations, but if you do it, you know, based on, you know um down in distance i think and have certain packages prepared i, I think it can work yeah. really nicely it, uh that's where the ravens um do and wink uh, and and that staff does such a good job i think of just kind of identifying specialty players and where the and it kind of goes back to the roots of rex ryan right like he, he you know they had the specialty players that could come in uh and give you some value just on a few snaps yeah, it's, it, it Ravens – for people who
2: watch the Ravens and maybe you watch football and you're not as attuned to the defense as, as a lot of people are to the skill positions on offense, um, the substitution required on defense in the NFL and is large. The substitution required on the Ravens defense is unbelievably complex. So they run a lot of different packages and and they can substitute specifically – uh, at corner for not just down in distance, but for the opposing personnel and for people who are kind of new to football, um, the defense substitutes second. So the hockey hockey fans will know that the home team gets to put their, their team on the ice second after a stoppage of play where you have a face-off. Well, it's, it's similar in football that the, that the offense has to make their personnel changes and make them visible. And if they do it late, the umpire will step in umpire referee one of the two will step in over the football stop the offense from snapping the ball allowing the defense to make changes so right. typically things like the no huddle offense have to be run without personnel changes
4: yeah exactly so then i think the, you know the way the ravens have always valued having uh the depth that they've had and guys that can wear different hats play multiple roles that's where they're uh, at an advantage because because you can substitute and they take advantage of that pretty well
2: yeah. Yeah. Done a great job with that. You know, they they they've included their cornerbacks in their blitz packages a fair amount, much more than in previous years. And in fact, they set the record by having five different defensive backs register a
4: sack in one game. Was it Philadelphia? Washington, whichever uh, was it was, I think it was Philadelphia. I think if, I think it was Philadelphia, yeah. That was that was special. That was incredible. Yeah. I remember that game because Elliott was so prolific. So yeah, I think that was the game that they they all got in.
2: Well, one guy we didn't, I don't think we mentioned yet is Tavon Young. We, you know, we got two two still to go. So Tavon Young, we haven't really hit on other than to mention him in a lot of other spots and with the injury. What, what would be a win this year for you out of Tavon Young?
4: Oh, that's a really good question, actually. <laughs> I don't know how you quantify it. I mean, let me try. I'd say maybe like 12 games he starts, he plays in the playoffs. He hope he in the playoffs, <laughs> big impact. I'll take, I'll take impact at the end of the year from him. Then, you know, if he's not necessarily, you know, somebody you can count on all the way. Um, it's not as if he's been a guy that's been nicked and bruised and he misses a few games, though either misses the season or he doesn't, he does, you know, he doesn't. So I think yeah. what you had in 2018 from him I take that. Like that would be a good, oh, of course he was, it was phenomenal. And then he played and made big plays. So uh, I know he's like on a player basis in terms of what he can do. I, I, I don't have any doubt. It's his ability to stay on the field, but that's why it's interesting. Uh, Ken, cause I was thinking about this before I joined join, I wrote a piece, uh, something to the effect of like seven reasons to be optimistic for next year. And he was one of the reasons I had on that list. And, and I got called out because they are like, well, this guy never stays healthy. So we can't, I mean, if you get, you know, any games out of him, it's a net positive, but it's, he's so, it, it can flip things so dramatically to me. Oh yeah. Like if he does play, because you're talking about an impact, you know, and his core position, you're talking about yeah. impact to the other positions outside. So it's, um, it's massive, and I, I just hope I just hope that it works out. Yeah, I mean, if, if, just as you go,
2: go through the dominoes here, if Tavon can play in the slot, I, I, he's not necessarily going to be one of the best slot corners in the league. I think I, I really need to see after two years off where he is again after these injuries. Did they have any long-term impact on his speed? Are the joints rusty at all? I mean, is he, is he able to remember what he knew uh, in terms of the dance steps of the position? To, to immediately get back to that position. I, I hope so, but I'm not 100% sure that'll be true. If he does, then that position is obviously, is probably improved over having Humphrey play there. But Humphrey moving back to the outside will be demonstrably better in terms of of what he does. I mean, all of his skills are boundary corner skills. You know, baseball, bad arms, where do you best do best with those? You do best when you're able to use that physicality by the boundary and knock the ball loose on the outside after it gets there. So uh, I I just, I I love him on the outside a lot more. And even if it meant they'd have to rotate through three guys with Peters, him and Smith, each maybe taking some time off every game as they did in in 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that'd be a terrific thing.
4: Yeah, and so I mean that's actually a good frame of reference. is twenty eighteen. If they can get back to that, uh, and I think the upside is even bigger because of Peters. So they didn't have Peters, so you're talking about that type of rotation and that type of balance. But then you have better a little bit of a better player or quite a bit of better player. And Peter. Peters for Carr, yeah, is the exchange here. Yeah, yeah. So if they can again. I know it's a lot of um, a lot of hope for a guy that just can't like can't get out of his own way in terms of the injury bug. But uh, again, the, the flip side is if he does watch out, cause you know, it's funny and I'll just wrap on this um, and I'm not expecting it, but maybe I'm, I should, I, I should stop myself. But you, you look at the, when the media talks about the Ravens, right? They talk about this defense. It's never mentioned at all, or it wasn't mentioned one time this season that they were missing him. And he is their slot corner, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, which is fine, but if you think about it, again, they played the entire season without a slot cornerback in a and in, in a lot of these games facing teams that were pretty, you know, I would say had um mean in, in some of the cases that some of these teams had some of the best in the game, right? So yeah. it's remarkable how well they held up.
2: Yeah, it hurt them a lot. Versus Kansas City, they were going to lose that game anyway. Mahomes had one of the best years, best games I've ever seen, uh, beating the blitz that game. But the but the game that they probably would have won is the Pittsburgh game at home. I think that it, if they had had Tavon for that game, that result gets flipped, and uh, you know it's Tavon and of Bonds playing on the inside as a as a fourth corner there.
4: Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and it's and yeah again, you t- give or take, they would have had some of these losses anyway, but. It's a it it and the Buffalo game was so stressful for for me. I was just mm-hmm. thinking about how are they going to deal with Beasley, and they somehow figured it out. I mean, give credit to Marlin, but it's no like small feat what he accomplished. I, I don't care if Beasley was gimpy or not, uh, and to to have to redo that again or face the prospect of it is 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 very um, it's it's tough to to consider that. I think how. Shocked would
2: you be if the Ravens used a high draft pick, and I'm going to say a one or a two, to draft a corner in this year?
4: Well, it wouldn't shock me. I think shock is not a term I'll use because uh, they, they they value the position. Uh, we know they invest heavily in it, and we know that you know just if they see a, a, a like a guy that f- falls to them. Uh, and I don't remember who it was. It, San, it wasn't on Samuel Jr., but there was another corner I saw in one mock, and it was like, you have to take him if he's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember who off the top of my head. But, yeah, it wouldn't shock me. It would surprise me. Um, I would be – a second rounder, I think, is is probably fair game. Uh, first rounder would really, you know, surprise me. Uh, it would really surprise me. I wouldn't say shock. Yeah, they they have a lot of comp- this team has
2: a lot of competing needs and and obviously I think the the big under the two big ones that are kind of understated on the defensive side of the ball where they need by the way to get out of some expensive contracts and move that money to offense yeah but the two big ones that are not mentioned are defensive line just they have got to get younger on the defensive line so I don't I, even if if they have six picks seven picks eight picks whatever it ends up being after they do some trading down I think we're going to see two go to the defensive line this year. Again. Um, and, then, and then the other position is cornerback, where, you know, Humphrey, they've committed to long term, so he's done, but they haven't committed to Peters yet. It's, it's, it's not a done deal. They don't really know exactly what they have with Tavon yet. So I think that there's a, a reasonable possibility. Plus, they're behind Tavon. They have so little in the slot. I could easily see them drafting an understudy to him anyway. So whether that's in the second round or the fourth round or the fifth round is another question.
4: Oh, I agree. Uh, yeah. I, I see it that way as well. I know, you know, because of the fact that they only have so many uh, picks and they have so many resources and I know safety is also possible yes. consideration in the defensive backfield. So then it's just going to come down to, can they also find a guy that, that could be, I mean, cause a slot, that's why the slot is so uh, unique. It's, it's so valued because if you can find a guy that can play slot, but then also double up, and play outside some, or maybe even, you know, kind of rotate uh, a little bit at at safety or play kind of like, or, or maybe it goes the other way. (laughs) Um, If you can find a guy like that too, that would be, I think uh, a good, like two for one, three for one deal. But I, I think that's
2: another possibility too. We didn't talk about Amon Marshall probably ought to hit on him too, but, but that's the other way the Ravens could do it is, is get a hybrid special teams slash Corner guy. And we've talked about this a little bit on the other shows, but I just want to bring this up with you. But the Ravens' model for special teams has been find a guy who can give you something on one side of the ball. It's got to be something. Albert McClellan, Anthony Levine are the prototypes for providing something that's significant on defense, but then also being outstanding special teams players. It's not enough to just be Chris Moore and be a great special teams player, you have to provide something else along with that on one side of the ball. So whether that's at slot corner, safety, wherever it is, you know, that's where they'd be looking, I think, to get another core special teamers. I think Christian Welch, because of that, I don't think his spot is is long for this team, given that he's exclusively a special teams player.
4: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, I didn't think about that all the way. I mean, I remember thinking about they've had some of the best special teams players uh, yeah. who are just devoted to that for the most part. And you would think, but even a guy like Ian Bedejo, Brendan Ian Badejo, played linebacker and had yeah. he had to actually, and he ended up having a pretty significant role, I think, in coverage. So uh, as a cover linebacker, uh, yeah, Chris Moore is uh, basically more or less an, an anomaly um, because he doesn't do anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think. Uh, they may look at it that way first if they can get someone who can really like uh, these are special teams, is always looked at for them their drafts, no matter what. But mm-hmm. if it's a high end guy, on top of that, he can you can, you know, I'm thinking Corey Graham is another one that evolved into a pretty important slot corner for them. And I don't think anybody really thought much of it because of. His special team's value. So uh, I could see that unfolding. Uh, and I would be, that would be fine for me too. Like if they drafted someone who can give them a really good value for both and maybe in the third, fourth round. Um, yeah. Fourth you
2: can top. get them cheaper than that. Honestly, Yeah, yeah. I mean, round,
4: yeah. At, at
2: safety, the Ravens long time strategy is always a sixth round or lower. They never went higher than that. But if you look at the Ravens, uh, you know, safeties, Ralph Staten was a seven, uh, Harris, who was one of the, one of the great ones of all time was a free agent. They picked up fairly late in his career, but then they had Anthony Mitchell, who was, I believe undrafted. Chad Williams was a six drum Sapp was a seven Haruki Nakamura was a six Zibikowski played a little bit in really dime packages and was a, he was a three. So they, they, they try to go higher, but that's what I want this year. I want that safety return the Ravens to the dime. Cause I don't think it worked out with Chris board. As the as the uh, nickel, sorry, the proxy safety, Mm -hmm. and get that guy fairly cheaply in the draft. But it's certainly a place where the Ravens are short, and they may draft a higher round pick to draft a a new deep free safety ball hawk. But they really need to get a dime back. I I had hoped Stone was that guy, but it you know it obviously didn't work out. They they exposed him and then lost him.
4: Yeah, I think they will get that player. Uh, You know, I think it's going to happen because to, to your point. Uh, the value that it would bring to their dime package. And I think uh, I can't. Yeah. I, I mean, they've, they've gone back and forth with having the linebacker in that role, but it's just uh, it's tough to be able to compete against Kansas city, Buffalo. If those are the teams you're gunning for. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see that, like this structure being the best way to, to approach those teams. I just don't, because they're going to put out, I mean, the bills at fifth receiver, (laughs) they're at the fifth receiver, fourth, easily they're four receivers deep. Now that's going to change a bit with free agency, but I'm just, again, I I think those teams aren't going to go away from that being their, their, uh, their structure to attack the
2: defenses. Yeah, that's right. And you end up, you're playing a lot of zone on, on third down anyway, particularly on third and fairly long. And when you're in that position, Chris Board is absolutely the wrong guy. If it was a third and short, I feel better about it because of his ability to play downhill on the passing game, you know, cover a running back, get to that spot, do whatnot. But but I really want a safety in there who can affect the the, the quarterback's passing lanes more when it's third and medium or long and, you, and you're and you playing him in a short middle zone and maybe he's like Levine where he's showing a, an A-gap blitz at the line of scrimmage and he drops to the short middle zone. Anyway, we're supposed to talk about corners here. Apologize for taking us off off base a little bit on that, but boy, I want to see a return to the dime.
4: Yeah. One last point on that. I'll just say this is I, I, you're a hundred percent right. It's flooding those inside zones. That's why the safety is a better, I mean, if you look at the chiefs, what they did against the bills in terms of flooding all the inside zones with three, what was it? Three, four safeties even. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really even care about, I mean, you care about the deep ball of course, but the way that teams are getting the ball out and just throwing the ball quick. I mean, that's really what you want to negate. I think so. Yeah. Uh, that's what, I would also look at as a guy that can handle both responsibilities. And anyway, I think I, I, I concur with you. All right. Loving the idea of that. So, Dev, tell us a little about what you're doing right now. First of all, your Twitter handle is? My Twitter handle at devpanchois, so I'm pretty active, and uh, yeah, I mean that's one way to get uh, in touch with me. I also am, uh, you know, writing for Russell Street Report and um, working on an interesting project uh, as we speak, and, and kind of taking a deeper dive into the coaching hires that the Ravens made on offense uh, with Williams and Martin, T. Martin. So just kind of looking at how are these? There's like this whole perception, Ken, about I think from the fan base that let's just sign Allen Robinson or like overhaul the entire receiving core. I don't necessarily like agree with that. School. I don't think the Ravens. I don't think the Ravens do either. I think the Ravens think they have guys uh, in house. They've drafted, developed, or, or they haven't fully developed them, but they've mm-hmm. invested prime picks on these guys. You're not going to just discard them. I think the coaches that they hired are really exciting. And I just get into a little bit more depth here of how they could potentially um, have the twofold kind of impact of, can they um, change the perception maybe from the outside joining the Ravens? And then also, can they work with the guys they have in-house and improve them. So I kind of talk about that in this piece and that's going to come out for Wall Street Report um, pretty soon. So uh, people can look yeah, out that.
2: Tell me uh, when, you're, when that comes out, I'd love to have you on the show to discuss it. It'd, that'd be a lot of fun to go through sure. 15, 20, 30 minutes. But that'd I'd, I'd, I'd be a great thing. Dev, always appreciate having you on here. Always great to talk football with you. You can hear just from the timbre of our voice how excited we get about having a good football conversation with each other. This is a, a, you know one of my favorite guests, certainly. And thank Thanks for, thanks for coming on again, Dev.
4: I always appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ken. All right. Looking ahead here, we've
2: got a lot of other positional reviews coming up. There's eight more to come. I want to also uh, talk to people about Film Study Shorts. If you have an idea, three uh, three bullet points to me is usually the best way by email at filmstudy21 at verizon.net or by uh, Twitter uh, at filmstudyravens. Just tell me what you'd like to talk about, and I'll try and help you get there, and we can, uh, we, we can come up a way to discuss this. 15 to 20-minute, highly focused topic is the best. Thanks again for listening, folks. Thanks, Dev, again for being on. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.